welcome to the Property Portfolio Podcast with Mark Stokes and Nigel Green. Every week we inspire and guide you towards success in the world of property development, mentorship and fundraising. Before we jump into today's episode, a reminder to join us at equacademy.co.uk where you can gain free access to hundreds of videos and templates to help you on your property development journey. Hi, Nigel, you all right? Hello, Mark. Yeah, very well, thanks. How's yourself? You okay? Got your cuppa? I have. I've got my cup of tea. Cheers. <laughs> morning, everybody. Morning. Who have we got this morning? All coming in. Morning, Nigel. Hope you're well. Kaz, Colin, David, Ed, John, Mark, Ian, Lee, Lee. Another Lee, loads of Lees. Mark, Marks. Neil, Patrice, Philip, Simon, oh, loads of people. Simon, another Simon. It's it's the world's full of Simon and Ian's this morning. Welcome to you all. <laughs> um, so another another busy session today. We've got back to backs this morning, Nigel. We've got our uh, Equi Mentorship uh, Mastermind call at nine o'clock. So uh, yeah, absolutely, we'll top of this onto that, and we're uh, very much so. Planning, yeah. committed development, that's our target subject uh, for that, that call, isn't it? Very poignant as well at the moment, isn't it? So, uh, you know, probably the best in industry, you know, will be presenting. So I think uh, I think that'll be absolutely great and a huge learning experience for everybody. You know, we can all take something from that. So looking forward to it. Definitely, definitely. So as you may recall, over the last few weeks, we went quite deep into raising private capital. We did three uh, three sessions on that, um, and these sessions for those of you joining us for the first time, and we like to make these open, fluid. There's no slides, as we're, we're abjectly against PowerPoint on this webinar. This is 45 minutes. Where grab your porridge, cup of tea, coffee, um, and uh, just listen to us ramble on. And um, you know, we're just talking about what we do on a day-to-day basis, what we know, what we've experienced. Um, you know, we remain humble at all times. We've, we've seen a lot, but we learn every single time. And it's that fast feedback loop, isn't it? If, if we learn, it goes straight back into the system so we can capture it time and time again. Very much and, so. Well, Nigel, what, what version are we on the Equidea at the moment? Uh, it's version 50. Well, 58, sorry, 58. Um, but there is a there is a another tweak in trial at the moment, so... <laughs> I didn't doubt it for a minute. <laughs> it's ever moving. And it's it's such a, you know, you, you can make, oh, you just just do a tweak, you know, this sort of thing. But you you can imagine it's quite a sophisticated beast now. And, um, you know, m- multiple tabs, which are all kind of mini engines, all reporting to a front end, you know, providing all the data and everything, uh, the dashboard, if you like, of the development so just to make one adjustment you've kind of got got to go through every single facet just to make make sure it's okay and indeed trial it you know you've got to get it under trial and uh, under test and make sure uh, you know before it goes out it's absolutely working as it should be yeah so we're i mean we'll, we'll come on to joint ventures in a minute because we're about to start part two of joint ventures after a great session last week um you know that that Fast feedback loop, the storing the information. You know, across our investment models, we we'd like to have very distinct models, don't we? And if we've got a model, then we can tweak it, we can evolve it each time. And 
of the Equidea. There's not just an HMO one, there's a buy-to-let one, there's a you know, commercial conversion one, a land one. Um, so many different permutations there, but it gives us that central focus point, a bit like the risk register as well. You know, every risk you come across, just put put an extra line on your risk register. And the risk register, by the way, the the um, the, the uh, template is in the Equiportal. You know, we we mentor people. That's what we do. But the the knowledge in terms of templates and things, we just provide that. Uh, for community's benefit. So you can just go into ecoacademy.co.uk and you can join the Echo Portal complimentary and there's well, 250-odd um, recordings and templates and things there. So but those two interesting examples, aren't they? The risk register and the, the Equidea, where it gives you one central place to store the learning. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, to ask the questions and... You know, one, fundamentally, why we use the um, you know the development analyzer that we do is that it's every single box is asking a question. It might not be applicable. It might be absolutely outrageously unapplicable to to what you're looking at, but at least it's raising the question, and then you can process it and go, this is applicable or it isn't. And you know, what a wonderful day it would be if you know just on one occasion it raised a question. You think, I didn't think about that. You know, you can save tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of pounds potentially. So th- this is this is what it's all about. You know, it's creating a platform that, you know, it's taking you through systematically. You know, asking lots of questions along the journey, and for you to respond accordingly, depending on the actual opportunity you're looking at. So yeah, that's good. That's a great great word there. The J word, uh, journey. Um, you know, start with version one to get to version ten is a phrase you'll hear us use a lot. Um, had a call with a, a mentee earlier on this week, and they, they're just suffering from a, a bit of bit of overwhelm. To be honest, um, they weren't getting going because they weren't confident on on what that final destination looked like. So we just broke it down, broke it back, looked at where they wanted to get in terms of their vision, um, and just asked them to make a start. Set up a very simple spreadsheet or a simple document. Um, it's not right now, but it will be by the end of the weekend or the end of the month or the end of the year. And that's quite often um, that's quite often how I maybe start some of my presentation slide decks that I'm looking at. It might be an IM, might be you know, a number of things, but just make a start. And I know I'm not going to sit down and do it in one go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get the framework, get the order structured. I'll come back and revisit it over the next few days. And, and that, I think that really helped them to... You know, they've already come back after three or four days and um, they've got, you know, a real credible version now. Yeah. Mark, you use a phrase which is, uh, you know, very powerful. Um, You know, start with the end in mind. And I think that's, you know, even if you just overlay that onto your creating a PowerPoint presentation, you, you have to start with actually what you're trying to deliver. You know, and then kind of work back for that to to enable you to start with page one, and the, the same as with with a, a mentorship pro, program. You know, creating the strategy, it always starts with right. What do you want, and when do you want it, <laughs> and then and then you can very easily. And it's not; it doesn't have to be a big lump. You know, it can be a staggered lump over a period of time, but it's creating key milestones, and then from those key milestones, if you understand quantum and time, you can clearly work back from that point to create all the tasks, the actions, you know, what needs to be done so that Monday morning it's very clear what we need to do to achieve that first step to 
for the ultimate objective. So, yeah, yeah. I would say. Brilliant. Good. Well, just before we get started then, um, just a, a quick note to everybody. Uh, we've got the SAS Alliance uh, Property Conference tomorrow. Um, there are, you know, I can't remember exactly, but eight or 900 people registered uh, for this conference. It's for the whole day. And it's very similar to the book that we've been working on, um, which is uh, Property and SAS Secrets. It's how you can bring the power of SAS and the power of property together. And I think all of us on the, the call were probably aware of the, you know, the potential power of, of property as an asset class. Maybe some of you are aware of, of the power of SAS uh, as an enabler. It's a phenomenal tool to have in your toolbox. Um, imagine putting those two together. I mean, that really does turbocharge. Um, and from my personal perspective, you know, it took 24 years or to to create my pension pot. And then in one deal, Nigel and I working together, that in effect, you know, doubled um, my particular pension pot or the equivalent thereof in, in 24 months. So 24 years, 24 months. That's the power of firstly taking control of it, but secondly, knowing what the hell you're doing as well. Um, so, you know, great opportunity, nine to five. You can dip in, dip out. If you're a SAS Alliance member, then the uh, the recordings are complimentary. And of course, if you're one of our Equa Mentorship uh, mentees, then you get membership of SAS Alliance complimentary anyway. So, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, so we're going to be discussing quite a number of things um, uh, tomorrow, all to do with property and SAS. So I've just put in the uh, the conference details um, uh, in there. I'll just pop it in again. So if you're not registered, just get yourself in there, uh, register. It's going to be a great day tomorrow. Well, yeah, some great speakers. And I love the case studies, personally. It just really defines i guess it defines it after the possible doesn't it what can what can be achieved and it's lovely to hear other people's success stories as well around that so looking for can't wait all right hopefully ian's going to give us an update Hi, morning ian i know he um, he's had some great success over the uh, last few weeks and uh, and indeed yeah. yesterday as well so i saw his great little video so we're going to hear about that a little bit later on in the mentorship session um a bit later on so all good stuff right okay so Last week, we did what turned out to be part one, joint ventures. Um, it's a big old subject, isn't it? Um, we've been involved, as we spoke last week, we've been involved in joint ventures for, for donkey's years, you know, probably uh, in our third decade of joint ventures in their various forms. Um, and we've seen a lot associated with it, you know, the, the huge potential, but also mm. pitfalls and the, uh, you know, the, the, the risk as well. Mm. We want you to be safe. We want it to be a phenomenal experience, but it's not linking pinkies and walking into the sunset. Mm. It's got to have a very considered approach. Yeah. So, Sometimes by adversity as well, isn't it, JVs? I mean, if you remember last week, you know, I, <coughs> I spoke about my, my personal situation with, um, with South Street. In, mm. You know, that was a tenant that was about to default on the rental payments and, you know, coming together and finding a way effectively was a joint venture to get him out of his lease to then to then find another joint venture to to convert what was his space into residential accommodation. So it just it's almost by, 
you know, default, you find yourself in these situations. So it's, it's, it's definitely, you know, wise to be, you know, understand the, you know, you know, the pitfalls of joint mentoring for sure. Definitely. Definitely. So we touched on with quite a few questions um, last week. Uh, I know you and I both had some Facebook messages and by the way, if, um, if you want to put any questions in, just drop them in the, uh, the Q and a, and we'll we'll try and answer a few of those a little bit later on if we have time. Um, but a few people were were asking um, about personal guarantees. How do we structure personal guarantees? What are the considerations when you're doing joint ventures or bringing investors in? Something we're not too unfamiliar with. I think uh, it'd be fair to say. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's there's loads of facets around it, you know, around uh, PGs. Um, in, yeah, in terms of who wants them, you know, why do they want them? Um, who's prepared to give them? Who can underwrite them? Who can support them and sit behind them? You know, all these sorts of aspects and and all the parties that are involved, you know, for, particularly from a funding perspective, you know, development finance is, a, is an obvious one where kind of PGs is essential. It's part of that, that program of... Um, you know, servicing those um, those debts and supporting those debts. So, but, you know, asset liabilities start to come into it and what have you, and that might not be uh, and probably isn't, you know, in the appetite of your investors. So it's it's really understanding from the outset, you know, what, uh, you know, who's going to take responsibility for that. And that's really, you know, roles and responsibilities around the joint venture um economy really isn't it that's that's you know we need to understand who's doing who's doing what yeah 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 i think that that definitely the roles responsibilities we touched on that didn't we the the investor we ultimately said no to who wanted to be involved in the colors of the walls and the profile yeah. of the architrave just yeah. wasn't the right fit um so for for pgs um Let's just uh, mention a few of those things that Nigel just mentioned. Um, When you're bringing parties together, and I think we probably need to make a bit of a distinction here. You know, joint ventures is a bit like the word project manager. There's a thousand and one definitions of it. Um, If you've got an investor investing in a, a development, let's say, you know, are they a joint venture? Well, I suppose you could call them a joint venture if you like, but, you know, if... Maybe that distinction is if they have an active role in the development, then they become a, a, a joint venture partner. Is that active in terms of contributing funds? Um, so I would suggest you create your own definition of what you mean by a joint venture. Are you meaning just somebody providing funds and taking a security uh, in the development? Or is it somebody who's got a, 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 another role to play as well? All are meaningful. There's no right and wrong here. But you need to dissect, cookie-cut it down to, so that you've got all the uh, roles, responsibilities um, uh, laid out in, in a proper structure and you can flow. You'll need to see it. Your solicitor is going to need to see it as well. Um, and then you've got the way the, the funds flow into the deal, the structure of the deal. You know, as an example, uh, we were talking earlier on, Nigel, weren't we, about um, KYC and AML checks. Yeah, um, exactly. So as an example, uh, if you're, you've worked really hard with your private investors, you've got a great win-win on the table, 
all done, all secured, and your private investor transfers the funds into your solicitor's client account, but has not completed the KYC and AML. Um, the solicitor will have no option but to send that money straight back to the investor. And I've heard of that happening a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, so you must have due process there. Now, the funds doesn't have to go through your solicitor's client account. It could come straight into your bank account. Um, there are reasons why you may wish that to come in uh, via the solicitor, particularly if you've got maybe a security trustee involved there. You want to collate all the funds together and do the transaction in a, a single point. You might want one single day tr- uh, trigger point for when interest starts. So the money might come in over the course of a week or 10 days into the solicitor's client account. And then at a certain point that is transferred on the day of legal completion, maybe, or the transaction completion, um, that's when interest starts ticking. Um, mm-hmm. So, but the, the, the KYC, the Know Your Customer and AML Anti-Money Laundering, And we spoke about that in the private investor section. I think it was part two a few weeks back. Um, It's pretty tough. Um, It can be pretty tough. And you've got to look at yourself in the mirror. Do you want to be in a position where you're asking your private investor for proof of where their investment came from? Is it from legitimate sources? You've said you would like to invest 100K. Can you prove to me where it came from, where it really came from? That's pretty tough questions. Um, so what we do is work with our um, either COSEC, company secretarial team. So we have a team that do this. Um, they're very specialists. They know what they're doing. Uh, and with it, without emotion, they can sensitively approach that subject with proper structure and forms um, to flow through that process. Uh, so you can either use your COSEC team and or you could use a uh, your solicitor. It could well be another partner in the practice who's doing the, the conveyancing of your property deal. But it doesn't half make the process flow a whole lot uh, whole lot smoothly, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, very much so. No, that, that's, that's good. That's good. I mean, um, yeah. I, yeah. So I, I, th- I think, you know, just having that, yeah, the rules of engagement set out right at the outset um, and, and coming to, you know, if, if it is a private investor market, you know, coming to them with this this is what this is how the process will will flow and you know this is how the structure will look I've, I've just printed out a little structure on the printer there which I'll probably show in a bit but just just to lay it out pictorially I think um, is a good way of representing and probably a lot easier for people to follow as well but uh, yeah. yeah you do that quite a bit don't you in your structure well, it's a great session I noticed uh, uh, Agil's on the call here morning Agil um, so having a chat with Agil and Daryl um, last week and I just showed them the structure that we'd raised some funds on one of our developments um, showed them a page out the IM went through that structure and it was exactly as you said it's the it's the visual connecting the dots who does what and when and why and how the whole picture becomes cohesive and holds together very similar to that yeah yeah it's and our model won't be the same as your model and their model and her model. Yeah, you know, they'll all be different because it's your economic equation. It's got to work for you. Um, and we have a lot of questions on structure. It's probably one of our most frequently asked questions, isn't it? It is. It is. And, you know, starting with the end in mind as well, again, isn't it? It's, 
it's creating the structure that you can achieve the end objective. Um, and, and just by creating that structure, which you might have derived from, you know, great advice from maybe a tax advisor or your accountant or, you know, working with whoever it is, you know, that's got to be validated by, let's say, your funder. You know, your development finance uh, company that's going to come in has got to be happy with that structure. Otherwise, you might not, you might fall fall down on the first hurdle. So it's validating that they're happy with it. And then, of course, moving on to the final, the end in mind, whatever that may be, it might be, you know, you're creating, uh, you know, residential assets that you want to sell or you want to hold. If it's hold, you know, You've, you've got another part of the structure there. So it's it's testing and double testing with the the eventual lender who might be a long-term institutional buy-to-let type lender to make sure they're happy with the structure as well. And so it goes on. So it's a bit of, it's a, it's a bit of work to be done, but you can imagine once you've got tick, tick, tick all the way through the structure, at least you've defined the outcome. And you, you, you're confident you can go into that structure at the front end, knowing you can achieve your objectives out the back end. And all the parties and all the intrinsic individuals and companies involved with that structure are very happy with it. And if they're not, then obviously it's, it's slightly back to the drawing board and you go again until you've got your structure sorted out. But yeah, spent quite a few years doing this, haven't we? And, you know, yeah. we've, we've found, and it, you know, sometimes it doesn't work for people. You know, we we know the way that we, you know, develop our sites and eventually uh, look to hold the assets, that structure there, there's only certain parts of the market, the mortgage market, that will support it in the long term. It's not because it's right or wrong. It's just some lenders have certain criteria and some have others. And so it's finding and being comfortable that you've got, you know, lenders for the long-term lending, let's say, that will be comfortable with that structure. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting one, but d- for sure, never go in and go right. This is it. Let's crack on. You know, we've got to make sure all that DD, that due diligence, is is done right at the outset for the entire process. Yeah, when, when I'm having conversations with investors, quite often the the feedback I'll get, maybe if it's one of the, maybe if it's the first time we're having these type of conversations with a a new potential investor, you know, we've we've gone through the. Uh, sophisticated investor and high net worth and so you know we're on safe ground with the fca um is is exactly as you said they it's the first time quite often that anybody spent the time to not just walk them through the steps going in but walking them through the steps going out you know and I, you, you, they will quite often hear me talk about well you know who's first in the queue on on the way back out you know the bank get paid back then the private capital gets paid back then the private capital interest gets paid back and then the developer and we use that well it's embedded in the um in the uh, equity a transition into the investment memorandum the the waterfall yes uh, uh, the equity waterfall and yeah. sometimes we might put that in a very different way um uh, on how many apartments. So if we've got 20 apartments, it might be we need to sell 12 apartments to clear the bank debt. We need to sell another four apartments to uh, to pay back the private capital. And then the final four apartments are profit, uh, however that's distributed with the shareholders. It's different ways of illustrating how it works. And you'd be amazed how effective that can be. So 
maybe one one of these sessions in the in in the future certainly from the the mentees perspective we'll be running through a live im yeah. breaking down the im these are the sections you need to look at this is the structure this is how we're where where um this is what we're thinking um this is the compliance so i think we've got that scheduled for i think it's december or early january but um that'll be an interesting session as well i think we scheduled it for early january because that's when the next intake is for the mentorship yeah. yeah good okay um a little bit of a segue um because i've not answered a question from last week and i've been saving up for this week um, and that's uh, SAS funding. Uh, it's, it was, I can't remember the name of the person. So apologies, hopefully you're, you're, you're on. Um, but uh, it actually came from a few people. Uh, and this is about leverage in your SAS. So if, you're, if you've got a SAS and you're acquiring property, um, can you create leverage? And the answer to that is yes, you can. You can um, you can borrow money uh, within your SaaS. So let's say a SaaS has a four hundred thousand pound valuation, and you're buying a property for let's say uh, one hundred and fifty thousand pounds. Now the SaaS can leverage up; it can gear up; it can get uh, loans, bank loans, whatever, um, for up to fifty percent of the fund value. So the fund value is 400,000. So it can get technically, and let's ignore fees and things for now, but it technically can get leverage for up to 50%. So it can get a 200,000 pound bank loan mortgage on that. So yes, you can do that. Um, and this is all theoretical. We'll, we'll just touch on the practical in, in a few moments. Um, of course, with a property worth 150,000 pounds, you know you can get technically some leverage there um no bank is going to give you in excess of 100 percent. in fact no bank really is going to give you 100 percent funding so so let's assume they're going to give you let's say let's make it the maths easy on a, a wednesday morning 50 percent funding uh, on the development so could you in theory get 75 percent uh, sorry, a £75,000 bank loan to buy a £150,000 property in your SaaS. Theoretically, yes, you can. And the leverage isn't just bank funding. So don't just think bank funding um, because the bank is just one form of leverage. Can a SaaS bring in private investor funds? Yes, again, same as bank funding, it's leverage. We're just talking about gearing up of your SaaS. Um, so we need to we need to have a clear distinction of the different types of leverage that you can create within your SaaS. So that's the theory. As always, dead easy with the theory. You can <laughs> leverage up up to fifty percent of your SaaS. Um, we're going to be talking about this in a bit more detail at the SaaS conference tomorrow morning. In fact, we've got Michael Primrose there, who we're working very very uh, closely with both personally in our development company and also on behalf of SAS Alliance um, so that so you guys understand the inside track, what funders are really thinking. And um, so, Nigel, I know you've got a few day-to-day -day experiences that uh, I'm sure you can share with people just for a minute. 
Yeah, around um, yes, pension funding. Yeah, absolutely. So it it as always, it's it's a bit vague, but it depends. It always depends. Um, depends on what you are funding. So there's certain lenders out there that um, just feel that in terms of SaaS leverage, that it's it's a little bit harder to do than maybe outside of a pension. You know, in a more of a traditional way, and they may well limit their lending to i mean we've heard haven't we marked kind of half a million pounds so um but there's probably others that would be happy to do another sum so it's just depends depends what it is you know the the lending market obviously you know you know the commercial particularly retail probably at the moment some lenders just won't entertain it at the moment for obvious reasons you know it's, it's tough out there we all know that um so, you know, it's it's really understanding what you're looking to leverage, if it's one asset, if it's multiple assets, if it's where it is, what it is, uh, what's the value of it, you know, how the value has been derived. Is it empty unit? Is it is it a unit with a lease on it? You know, how the valuation of the lease has been uh, derived, the, the overall value. Um, all these sort of aspects are key, key criteria for in-pension funding. But Mark, you're right. It can be done. It absolutely can be done. But um, you know, again, if you're thinking of leverage, then it's it's you know, get onto the phone to your commercial broker as quickly as you can. Once you know what the asset that you want to leverage, maybe in the future, you know, next six months or whatever, just get it across to them and see what the feedback from the the lending market is. And the frustrating thing about all this as well is that the lending market changes from day to day. So. You know, the appetite changes, the criteria changes. So, you know, it's very much in the moment and then very much dependent upon what you're looking to do. So that was a bit of a ramble, but I think one of the message in there is if you're thinking about it, just use your, your professional team, you know, send all the detail across to them and get them to to put it out to market and see what responses you get back, you know, and hopefully very positive in terms of what you're looking to achieve. Our concern, both Nigel and I's concern for anybody looking at acquiring commercial property in their SaaS is they don't feel that they're not hoodwinked by the sound bites. Mm-hmm. The worst case scenario for a SaaS trustee, or a, a, a one of the worst case scenarios, would be acquiring a commercial property and find out you've got a stranded asset where you, you acquired it in cash and you thought you could get some bank funding to it. Turns out you can't because the banks aren't happy to lend to you and you end up with the commercial property held in cash and your return on capital is uh, uh, and your yields are, are pretty skinny. Um, I mean, that would be... That would be quite a quite a challenge and knock people for some people for six. So just think about that. We've got a couple of other questions here. So Collins asked one on the question of leveraging SaaS to buy property. Does the SaaS loan the money, 50% of its value, or does a third-party bank loan the money and use the SaaS as security? But there's a few parts to that, Colin. So what we're not talking about a loan back here. We're not talking about a SaaS loaning out to the sponsoring company. We're talking about a SaaS buying a property with a mortgage in effect so can they get a mortgage from the from the bank the sas can't provide the security because it's a trust um so the bank the bank's security package uh, in lending to a uh, a sas owned property would be 
clearly a first charge on the property. Uh, and then you need to go to the market to understand what else they're looking for. Would they want personal guarantees from the uh, SaaS trustees? You can't take a debenture on a SaaS, which you can on a limited company. And just bear in mind what Nigel and I don't do. We don't find a property for the SaaS. We find a great deal, a great property deal, and then we look at what is the best structure to use. And this best structure might involve a SaaS, but not, might not be in the SaaS. And these are the different permutations that um, the book that I'm going to release later on in November is going to take you through, all these different angles that you can look at things. Um, Scott, hi, Scott. Hope you're well. Uh, he's got a question here. Uh, when you say using a SaaS to leverage money to buy property, this can only be commercial property, not resi, uh, correct? So that's correct. Uh, a, a property in a SaaS, okay, and must be a commercial property. There are a couple of examples where where they're residential, but they're different, very specialist forms of, of residential. So we'll just put those to one side. I understand now how I could use my SaaS to uh, do a loan back to my limited company and leverage using commercial finance, then buy and pay that loan. Yes, uh, and the, uh, and you can use the um, the loan back uh, from your SaaS to your sponsoring company. Uh, and as long as that sponsoring company is stock in trade is, you know, that the purpose you intend to use, then no problem at all. Okay, so uh, that was a, a little bit of a, a segue there. So, Coming back to um, uh, joint ventures, um, you mentioned shareholding earlier on, Nigel. Um, and let's have a think about shareholding, how you structure. Um, I know I know many of you um, may have left corporate life um, wanting that freedom of choice. That would be quite a consideration for you um, in maybe your own economic equation. What are you looking for? Um, I mean, we've we've bought property in cash before. We've developed in cash. And that's a wonderful feeling, a wonderful feeling. You're in control of your own destiny. We might be working with a few private investors maybe who are loaning money in on a, a, a debt base, you know, on a, a loan agreement. But you've got freedom of choice there, and that that's wonderful. The moment it starts to get that little bit more complicated is when you're looking at joint venture structures. Maybe you're looking at shareholding. Then you're looking at compliance and governance, the accountability, the communications, the update, the shareholding. Um, the session we're going to be doing in our mentorship group on structuring, on ex-directors, Y-directors, core at board meetings, all these things need to be brought together. And of course, also the, the, the shareholding itself as well, um, which the, the numbers can be quite mind-boggling sometimes. I, I always relish that conversation with the solicitors when you've got, you know, your, your private investor capital stack. Um, and you know your shareholding structure, just working out, you can end up having 10, 20,000 shares in a in a company to get the right share allocation, right? Mm, so um, absolutely, yeah. I mean, we know we know Mark. Every every SPV, every company needs a bank account, you know. And so you know, and generally, you know, the banks opening a business bank account, um, even if maybe the investor's just a shareholder and not a director, let's say. 
you know, the fact they are a share um, a shareholder, depending on their share capacity, you know, within that, you know, the AML checks are going to have to be done and, and all those KYC and what have you. You know, it's all going to have to be done. And, you know, it's just making people aware of this that, uh, you know, whereas if obviously there's, there's nobody and it's all it's all cash and we you know we're doing it on our own it's a very different story but if you do have um your investors and there's part of their security package is shareholding then it's just being aware that they they are with you you know during all those processes yeah yeah well one thing um investors or joint venture partners in in our experience value probably more than anything else is transparency um, I think board meetings are a really good example. Um, we have board meetings uh, monthly, and they're formalised monthly. Um, and the the ownership structure, the shareholding structure, will be, you know, our company will be the ex uh, shareholders, and therefore the ex directors, and there'll also be a Y director representative from the shareholders. Um, so there's that constant flow of open communication. There are reserved matters that we operate. Um, so we have a business plan that we operate within the parameters. If we divert from that, uh, let's think of an example. So if if we were buy, develop, sell of a commercial to residential commercial, that's the scenario. If a um, if we received an offer for the acquisition of the entire finished development from a housing association. Um, that would be uh, a departure from the business plan, let's say, because our business plan would be using help to buy and buy the, sell the individual units and then the, the freehold at the end as well. Um, so if we had an approach, we'd consider that as a board, we'd raise it as a board uh, item. Um, if there was a, a potential conflict of interest, if one of our investors wanted to put an offer in for, let's say, 20% of the uh, the apartments, and that's happened uh, numerous times, which is really positive. But again, we want to be beyond a, a reproach, and we want that transparency. So we'll put that to the board. All the shareholders can say, okay, yeah, that's, that's fine. That's a reasonable offer in line with the business plan, um, and, and go ahead with that. They really value that openness, transparency. If you'd like to come to site, absolutely, no problem. Let us know when, organise visits, or, or at least regular communications. Mm-hmm. And we do find that there can be a bit of a drop off. You know, the uh, it's quite an intense period for the first few weeks and months, mm-hmm. but then you settle into a rhythm, a system, yeah. and the trust is earned, and then the uh, the time it takes really does drop off a cliff. You develop into a system yeah. Yeah. Um, because they'll just let you get on with it, really. And mm. most investors, they're not interested in playing an active role. No. They just want to understand that their investment is in safe hands. And that's a wonderful relationship to nurture. Yeah, absolutely. It's an information platform, isn't it, for them? And, uh, you know, I think I think the X and the Y director approach is really good. I mean, we, we had a board meeting yesterday, didn't we, Mark? And, mm-hmm. You know the, um, I mean, in, in terms of getting a corporate in, into the into the meeting, which is basically where everybody can debate and agree and decide. Um, for one reason or another, the uh, the wide director was a little bit late. He was otherwise held up. So you know, we respectfully just kind of held back. We started 
going through the agenda of updates, but he, he came in later on. But, you know, we wouldn't have made any any decisions during that that meeting unless we'd referred it back to him had he not turned up for the meeting, you know. So you have to be very respectful. And, um, you, you know, I think formality is, is important as well. We have a fixed agenda. You know, we start off with the chair will will open the meeting and, you know, declare that we've, we've got a chorus and, and away we go. And then it's into a development update. It might be then into a, a sales update as well. You know, maybe private investment raising, you know, any other business, et cetera, et cetera. And we, we can pretty much, I think consistently, Mark, we're, we're in and out in an hour, aren't we? You know, it very, very rarely goes over because it's structured. You know, it's structured. There's a lot. There's a lot of data. We've got our, our company secretaries making all the notes, doing all the, you know, doing all the minutes and those sort of things, which are distributed. And it, and also we do a um, an investor update every quarter as well. So this is, you know, this this goes out to the wider investment community that, that have an interest in the particular development we're talking about. And it'll go out quarterly and, you know, any questions that come up, you know, we'll, we'll address the questions and we'll get back to the individuals that raise those questions. And that's, again, really important. But they are represented on the board by this, this individual wide director, you know, who, who feeds back, you know, to the, to the investors as well. So, yeah, very, a lot of transparency. And I think it's, it's the only way to go forward. The worst situation you can ever have is, you know, people becoming suspicious or not sure what's going on. And there's a massive danger in the mark of silence is deadly, absolutely deadly. You know, if if the investors haven't been updated or they, they're not sure what's going on and this they start to make things up in their minds about what's going on, which will never be positive, will it? So the more you can communicate and possibly to a degree over-communicate, absolutely the better. You know? Yeah. And of course, the phone's always on. If Absolutely. An investor feels that they can drop you over a text. Everybody's respectful of everybody's time. I don't think we've ever had an example where somebody has kind of abused the system at all. Um, your phone's always on. I, I frequently get phone calls saying, oh, Mark, been busy, I've been away for a few weeks. Uh, couldn't just give me a quick update. And the fact that, you know, they've thought about it and within an hour without a chat, it just really assures them. Um, so there's volunteering the information on a regular cycle. Even if somebody says, like, I don't want to receive these updates, quite frankly, well, don't open them. Then you're going to receive them anyway because that's we treat all investors. Remember the words. Write these words down. Parry, pursue. Now, Latin is the only exam I've ever failed in my life, um, but there are two Latin words, parry, pursue, and it means... Um, I'm bearing my soul. It feels like a bit of a counselling session, Nigel. It's well, it's going well. Unmatified <laughs> <laughs> at O level for that one. <laughs> um, but par- parry pursue. Everybody stands on equal footing, and on each one of our individual developments, on that development, all the investors in that development are on exactly the same basis. Okay, the same terms, the same conditions. The only difference is the quantum that they invested in. And that way, if we're on a group call with them, if we're if we've got a site visit with them, everybody trusts that we're all in it together. Mm. And that's why one not not all of our models, but many of our uh, investment models across our developments are on a a fifty fifty profit share. <laughs> and that fifty fifty, how does that make you feel? Makes you feel actually we are all in this together. 
everybody wins together. You know, people understand the you know the risk and reward um, because that's in the investment memorandum. But making sure that people feel that that galvanizing uh, togetherness. Now, if I change that language and said it's fifty one forty nine in favour of us, that dynamic shifts. It's only one percent, and I get that you need control and you need to do. So, so we use reserve matters. Uh, in in the board, the business plan, to enable us to operate. We're not running a development via committee, absolutely not. We've got a very clear role and responsibility to do to develop it. Um, But that 50-50, that creation of shared value that you hear us talk about all the time, creation of shared value is so important. Nigel, it's Mm. it's two minutes to go. They've nearly finished their porridge. They've nearly finished their coffee and they need to get on with the rest of their day. Um, So it's a a very poignant day today, actually, as well. It'd be remiss not to mention Remembrance Day. Um, You know, we we will not forget them. So um, 11 o'clock, we'll be just finishing a couple of minutes early from our our mentorship session and uh, just remembering those who who enabled us to have the, the freedoms that we pretty much take for granted and t- today is uh, a day for not taking it for granted isn't it yeah very much so yeah. good session no, I, d- I enjoyed that it was uh it's very good quite a deep subject jv and then it's, you know the spin over into the two parts but uh you know it's very important um just eyes wide open isn't it with this uh you know with business and with development and investment etc it's just going in with the, your eyes wide open and um, you know learning from others if you haven't done it before absolutely Great. Well, look, hopefully you've really enjoyed the breakfast session. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about structuring, structuring your deals. You can see the flow here of you know private investment, joint venturing, structuring. You know, this is where deals are made, that deal creation. Um, and if Nigel and I have... Uh, you know, hold one thing very, very clear on, on our experience over the years. It's, you know, how to structure engagements and, and deals properly. So, Nigel, another enjoyable session. We've had a busy week. It's going to be a busy day tomorrow with the property conference, and we'll see all of you on that conference. But uh, looking forward to it. Yeah. So have a, have a great week, everybody, and uh, make sure you register for the property conference tomorrow. It's totally complimentary, and um, we're going to have a wonderful day tomorrow. So have a great day. Thank you very yeah. much for, for joining. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Property Portfolio Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode and that it inspired you on the next leg of your journey. If you've got any questions or comments, why not reach out to us at our Facebook page, Equa Academy. Also, don't forget to register for free access to hundreds of property development videos and templates over at equaacademy.co.uk. And we'll see you in next week's episode. Thank you.